Good morning. Thank you. I heard that for those that said it. Thank you. My name is Maureen Brown. I serve on the pastoral team here at Forest Grove Attridge, and it is a privilege and a, a real joy to bring the message this morning. However, I feel like we've had a message this morning already, a powerful testimony to the work of Jesus in someone's life, and, and that's what our text takes us to today, so it just seems so wonderful and fitting that we had the privilege of hearing Margaret's story and having Margaret's family here with us um, as I, we explore this text. So we are continuing in our series in Acts, and today we'll be in Acts chapter 5, looking at verses 17 to 24. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to there. Um, the book of Acts was written to show us the birth, the growth, and the development of the early church. So in this series, we've been exploring the Holy Spirit and how it worked as the church grows and struggles. There's so much for us to learn about how to live out the transformational work of Jesus in the power and guidance of God's Spirit. Will you pray with me before we go into the text? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for those online. I thank you, Lord, that there will be others that will, um, you know, hear this service and watch this service throughout this week. And Lord, I pray um, that we would have our hearts and minds open to what you want to show and teach us in today. Lord, thank you that we've already experienced your work as we were witnesses to Margaret's testimony. And so, Lord, now I just ask that you be with us as we dig into this passage. And I ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So last week, Pastor Reg shared, um, just previous to this text, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The church was growing, and people were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they shared with those in need. And so Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property, and they had shared some with those in need. However, They'd kept a portion back. Now, that wasn't the problem if they'd been honest about it, but they lied. And so not only did they lie to those in their group, the first thing is they lied to God. Their motivation, their deceit, they lied to God. And as a result, they were struck dead. Now, that would have a tendency to impact people around. Others might have been a little sensitive or nervous about getting together with the apostles, and maybe even now we'd think, oh, I'm so glad that that doesn't happen. If my heart's not right, I'd be struck dead. There might be a few less of us here this morning at the service. But that would have hindered. It, the scripture does tell us, though, that people held the apostles still in high esteem and that the church continued to grow. So in the midst of that, verse 14 tells us, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There's a repeated pattern that happens in Acts. The apostles perform miracles, the, the gospel is preached, they experience opposition, they're arrested and threatened, they keep boldly preaching, and the church continues to grow. The Sadducees had told them to stop preaching and sharing this news, this news of this Jesus. And so the Sadducees were a group that controlled the two most important institutions in Jewish society, the Jerusalem Temple, known as Herod's Temple, and the Sanhedrin. And the leader of the Sanhedrin was a high priest. 
The Sadducees didn't believe in Jesus, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were infuriated at the message about a man who rose from the dead and that this message was spreading. So in verse 18 it says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in jail. Going on in the passage, in verse 19 and 20, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new life. An angel let them out of prison. You know, often we talk and we see there's angels in, in the Bible. But just, I find it quite interesting in this passage that it, we kind of skip over that quickly. And... Uh, it just kind of normalizes the supernatural working of God. The angel let them out of prison. So before the Sadducees found out what happened, the apostles were back out in the temple courts and they were preaching again. And a few weeks ago, we read in chapter 4, Peter said, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The apostles themselves were overcome with the need to speak the message. And as I was reading that again in preparation for today, it caused me to reflect on the things that might stop us. The things that might stop me. And maybe there's some things that have stopped you in the past. That's personal for each of us. However, if it's hindering our ability to continue spreading, we need to think about that and reflect on that. Sometimes it might be a family member or a friend that is opposing you're following Jesus, or maybe it's a group that feels intimidating, and so it causes you to shrink back. The disciples had been told not to preach or teach, but they said, we must obey God rather than men. Boldness, in a, and I, would, I, I will call it in a biblical sense, in a godly sense, is not a personality trait. It's not a personality trait because it's not, it's not an abrasive boldness that is offensive, though at times the gospel does offend. It's a boldness and a confidence that we can possess, and it comes from God. I, I was doing reading about different people that were bold in their faith. Corrie Ten Boom was bold in her faith. She was in a, a concentration camp. She was bold in her faith, but she called it a tender boldness. And I like that phrase. A tender boldness and a humble confidence. So I'd like to suggest four reasons this morning about why this is possible for us to have this boldness, this tender boldness, and this confidence. And the first reason is Jesus paid for it. Ephesians 3.12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. He paid for it. Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence because Jesus died on the cross for our sins so we can be reconciled to God. We can have that relationship with God. We can be forgiven. We can receive his mercy and his grace and find grace when we need it most. Not because of who we are or what we do, but because of who he is 
and what he did. The second thing I'd like to highlight or suggest is that, or no, the Spirit empowers it. The Spirit empowers this boldness. Peter and John, once frozen with fear, when filled with the Holy Spirit, were out preaching the gospel for everyone to hear. This got them arrested, and the very thing that had terrified them before. And their boldness astonished the Jewish authorities. In Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow, powerful. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I also love the promise in Matthew 10.20 that says, When you're in trouble or maybe when you're in prison or when you're arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say because... It will not be you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Have you ever had that in a time when you've maybe had some opposition or in a really tough conversation and words that you somehow say in a tender boldness or humble confidence, you think, I'm not sure where they came from. I believe God gives us those words in those times, just as he promises here in Matthew. But the boldness needs to come from a deep love for God, a compelling love for others, a heart that is so thankful for what the Lord has done in your life that you can't stop speaking and sharing about it. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my niece. I haven't talked about her a lot. When my niece was four years old, my sister felt like there might be something, something seemed a little bit off. In, in the way that my niece looked at her. She said, when I looked at her, she, I felt like she wasn't looking back at me. And after an emotional set of days and weeks, it was discovered that my niece had a rare form of childhood eye cancer called retinoblastoma. So she went through several months of hard chemotherapy, and after those months, it was decided that she needed to lose one of her eyes. They could not get the cancer out of that eye. And the eye is very close to the brain, that optic nerve. So it was decided that she would have one eye removed. And it was a hard surgery, a challenging recovery. But she had one eye that worked. Several months went by, and to their deep disappointment, the cancer came back in the other eye. So another several months of challenging chemotherapy, loss of hair, very weak, very ill for the majority of a year, immune suppressed. And after those months, they just couldn't get to a place where they felt it wouldn't spread. And so it was decided that she would need to have surgery to remove the one eye that she had left. And so at six years old, she would be blind. But the heart of a child that has a relationship with Jesus, which my niece did, is absolutely profound. And we have had a similar story here in our community, for those of you that know little Cohen. Cohen, a few years back, he lost his battle with cancer, but Cohen had a connection with God that was so tender and miraculous, it spoke to us. And my niece had a connection with God that was so tender and miraculous, I would say she had the kind of boldness that we're talking about today. There had been times in this journey with my niece when she asked really hard questions. And one day, as she was going through a weak time, she said to my sister and brother-in-law, if I go to heaven, 
Will Jesus bend down to talk to me, or will he pick me up? Now, for my sister and brother-in-law, the first thing my sister wanted to say is, no, 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 don't worry about that. You're not going to, that, that's not going to happen because you want to just give them the hope and you don't want to face it yourself that that might be part of this journey. So they realized, because they're really wise parents, actually, she has a question that deserves an answer. So they said to her, Rihanna, what would you want Jesus to do? And she said, at five years old, I think I'd want him to pick me up. And they said, then I think that's what he would do. Now, that was a hard conversation for my sister to have, because you imagine you're thinking of what could possibly be in the future. Right before the surgery to remove her last eye, we were all at Vancouver Children's Hospital. Now, her doctor, her surgeon, her specialist, her oncologist had been um, with them through the whole two-year journey. They had developed a really close relationship, and this doctor knew this family has something that's different and unique as they face this challenge. She also knew this little girl has something different and unique as she faces this challenge. So right before the surgery, the surgeon came out to the private waiting room where we were waiting with my niece, and the doctor, knowing about my sister and brother-in-law's faith, asked if they wanted to pray. The surgeon also knew that my niece had talked a lot about Jesus to her. I still, to this day, I don't know that surgeon's relationship with the Lord. But before we prayed, my niece, in her tender boldness, said to the surgeon, I have a gift for you and a request for you. She didn't use the word request. She used the words, I want, would you do something for me? And she pulled out a little cross, and her and her mom had talked about this, and she asked the doctor if she'd put the cross in her pocket when she operated on her. And attached to the cross was a poem. And some of you may have read that poem. It's called A Cross in My Pocket. I'm not going to read the entire poem. But if you can get the heart behind why she wanted this, she wanted her doctor to know, in just like a child can, I'm going through something, but I know I have Jesus. And this is what part of the poem says. I carry a cross in my pocket, a simple reminder to me of the fact that I'm a Christian, no matter where I may be. It's not for identification for all the world to see. It's simply an understanding between my Savior and me. When I put my hand in my pocket to bring out a coin or a key, the cross is there to remind me of the price that he paid for me. So I carry a cross in my pocket, reminding all and me that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, if only I'll let him be. Now, the poem was a lot more advanced than the faith of a child. But the surgeon, with tears in her eyes, put the cross in her pocket, and we prayed together. When my niece woke up from surgery, it was hard. It was very hard. There was days of sadness. There was days of depression. When you have something like that, you go through really deep, dark times, and she did. I'm so thankful for an incredible, gifted psychiatrist with the brilliance to have a little puppy in his pocket, a live puppy. It came into the room, then something happened as she played with that puppy. She moved from where she was to how she would move forward. And there was a nurse named Karen that cared for my niece immediately following surgery. 
My niece loved Karen. She was kind, she was caring, compassionate, and very, very skilled. So my niece asked my sister uh, another question, and she said, Mom, will Karen be in heaven? And my sister said, oh, Karen's so wonderful, and aren't we blessed to have her? And my niece said, no, no, Mom, will Karen be in heaven? Because that's not what my niece had asked. She had a boldness. And she said, I'm going to ask her. And then we're going, oh, no, no, you shouldn't really. And then we thought, this little girl has been through this journey. If anyone's earned a right to talk about Jesus helping her, she has. And so she said, I'm going to ask her because I really like Karen. And her profound faith said, when I get to heaven, I know I'll have new eyes. And I want to see what she looks like. Now, again, I can't tell you the end of that story with Karen. But I can tell you this tender boldness that she had was something very real. And the innocent, powerful boldness of children is real. No wonder Jesus talks a lot about kids in the kingdom of heaven being made up of them when we get confused as adults. Well, I need to tell you, my niece is now 25 years old, and I had the privilege of performing her wedding this past Easter weekend. She is an incredible writer, plays piano beautifully, and has a blog where she helps others understand how they can support those that are blind, as well as many other topics on faith. Her blog's called Not Your Blind Writer. <laughs> and there's a byline that says, but here's a little peek into the life of this blind writer. I encourage you to look it up. She shares lots about her journey with faith and honest and real because it's not been all easy. So the last two points of the kind of boldness that God can give us for others is we can pray for it. We can pray for it. Boldness is not a constant and shouldn't be taken for granted. We must keep praying for it. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this, and that's why he said in Ephesians 6.20, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So when we pray for it, then we need to act on it. And when we act on it, the fourth point, that is, it's contagious. The wonderful thing happens when we obey the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Others are encouraged by what we... The story of my niece doing those bold things, actually, I was encouraged in my own faith, from the faith of a small child. And in Philippians 1.14, it says, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So as we close this morning, I'd like to invite the worship band to come up. But I know when we hear a story like that, and sometimes it can be, we can leave and we can say, oh, that was just such a, an emotional story, and we can focus on the part of the story that is others. And so as we close, I'd, I'd like to encourage us to let's turn to ourselves. Is there something that the Lord is laying on your heart in response to this morning? Being bold may be as simple as talking to someone you normally would not, to, not talk to and stepping out of your comfort zone by praying with a family member, a friend, or a co-worker. And I've often been surprised when I've said to someone that's going through something hard, would it be okay if I prayed for you? You know what people usually say? Yes. Because they're at that place where they would appreciate 
prayer. And so we can do that. It, it may be responding to the nudges of a Holy Spirit in the circumstances of each day. Like someone shared with me this week. This person saw someone on the side of the road needing help, felt nudged to help. That's a good thing. However, what began as a little nudge became two incredibly encouraging hours with a stranger that led to talking about life and talking about God. And both this individual and I'm sure the one that was helped were deeply encouraged when it was over. It may be something bigger, some kind of prison that isn't visible. You know, we look at each other, so you guys, everyone looks really great this morning. But maybe there's something inside that feels like not a physical prison, but it feels like a prison, and it feels like there's chains holding you back from actually having that freedom in that relationship to go before God or that freedom to share with others. And you know what? I, I want to acknowledge this as I read through this passage. I realize that when we are speaking into that freedom with that boldness and what I would say maybe on the right track and what God's calling us, we need to expect there will be opposition at times. There was for the apostles. There will be for us. So we, may we be a church that cannot help but speaking about what we have seen, what we have heard, just like Margaret did this morning. Because, those four things, Jesus paid for it, the Spirit empowers it, we can ask for it, and it is contagious. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit, because even this morning, I believe there's personal nudges all across this room and online that God is talking to us. So if you'd like to pray with someone this morning about something, a nudge, even if you don't understand it, but there's just something that you feel God's drawing you to, there will be people up front that would love to pray with you about that. And may we be more and more a people that believe in the Lord because we can't help, and we can't help speaking about it, what we've experienced, seen, or heard, and that others will join and follow Jesus because of it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room, each person online. And Lord, I know, yeah, that you speak, you nudge. And sometimes we, we have that fear that doesn't want us to obey, that holds us back. So this morning, Lord, I just pray that we would be open to what you're saying to us. And Lord, because of Jesus and because of your Holy Spirit's work, that we would respond in a way that draws us closer to you. And we're transformed in you bit by bit. Thank you, Lord. I pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.